Lord, we love you. Thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, that uh, we can meet and come to this place and enjoy uh, the air conditioning and also, most and most importantly, uh, your word. I pray, God, that it would speak to our hearts. And, uh, Lord, though we're uh, weak in the flesh and, and uh, lack uh, language skills that I uh, dearly wish that I had, I pray, God, that you might uh, just use this uh, time, this lesson, to uh, help people to learn your word to know it better, to be able to apply it to their life, and uh, to see you work through this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to uh, be studying in the book of uh, Ezekiel today, Ezekiel chapter 11. And uh, I don't know, are you familiar with the prophet Ezekiel? Ezekiel uh, was a prophet in Israel during the time when Israel was being taken captive into uh, Babylon. And uh, just to kind of give you a timeline, in about, uh, about 606 B.C., 606 B.C., uh, a first group of Jewish captives were carried off to uh, Babylon, and that included Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, then in 597, a second group of Jewish captives was was taken to Babylon and that included the prophet Ezekiel who was a priest and uh, Ezekiel was carried off into captivity and and uh, hello go right on in there <laughs> so and then uh, uh, he he while he was in Babylon is when he received his his call and commission as a prophet of God and uh, that, but there was still one other major prophet who was left in the land, and that was the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, so Jeremiah was in the land, Ezekiel was in Babylon, and uh, they prophesied at about the same time, and of course they prophesied the same thing, that uh, God was going to uh, let the children of Israel be carried into captivity because of their sins, and uh, that they weren't going to be saved. Uh, many times in Israel's history, they had been on the verge of being taken captive, but God had always done something miraculous uh, when he uh, killed the armies of Sennacherib, uh, the Assyrian king, when he killed the Ethiopian armies that, that were outside the gate, but this time God wasn't going to save them uh, because they wouldn't obey him, they wouldn't heed his word, and so he let them be carried into captivity. And in our text today, uh, we're going to see that message that, that uh, Ezekiel brought. So let's look in our Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 11. And uh, we're going to read just verses 16 to 21. Ezekiel chapter 11, beginning at verse number 16. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, although I have cast them far off among the heathen, and though I have scattered them among the countries... Yet will I be to them as a little sanctuary in the countries where they shall come. Therefore say, thus saith the Lord God, I will even gather you from the people and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And they shall come thither, and they shall take away all the detestable things thereof and all the abominations thereof from thence. And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep mine ordinances to do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. But for them whose heart walketh after the detestable things and their abominations, I will recompense their way upon their own heads, 
saith the Lord. So Ezekiel lived in a time of apostasy. The children of Israel weren't serving God. And Israel had forsaken the true worship of Jehovah God and set up idols throughout the land. And even in their hearts, not just idols that they bowed down to outside, they even had idols within their hearts. And many people have idols in their hearts today. There are Baptist people who sit in Baptist churches and their heart is nothing but an idol throne room. It's not a place where God reigns. It's a place where some idol reigns. And so God was judging them. And in a vision, the Spirit of God brought Ezekiel to the temple. Uh, that's earlier in the chapter. We didn't read it. But he brought them uh, to the east gate, actually. It's the temple area, but the east gate, that gate that would, will be the gate through which the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come when he enters Israel again someday. Uh, to begin and establish his millennial kingdom. And, and from that east gate, Ezekiel saw 25 elders who were meeting to speak out against the message of God given through his prophets. And so God directed Ezekiel to prophesy against them. And as soon as he did so, one of the men, Pelatiah, the son of Benaiah, boom, he fell down dead. As soon as Ezekiel began to preach the word, this man, uh, uh, Pelatiah, just, he just fell down dead. God smote him and killed him. And, and uh, Ezekiel then wondered if God was going to make a full end of Israel. Is this what was going to happen to everybody in Israel? Were they all going to just die? Was God going to let them be killed? But God's response to Ezekiel was one of comfort. He would scatter Israel among the heathen, and yet at the same time, he would be to them a little sanctuary, like a little temple. And really, this is uh, almost a prophecy of, of what we know when we come to places like 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 6, where the Bible says that, what, know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost that's within you? And so God said that he was going to be a, a little sanctuary uh, among them wherever they were, wherever they were scattered among the heathen. And eventually God would bring them back to their own land, to the promised land from the countries from whence they'd been scattered. And in that time, he would give them soft hearts and a new spirit. Now, I think in our day, we tend to think of the head when we talk about somebody's will. And uh, so we call somebody who is strong-willed, we call them hard-headed. And uh, when we speak of emotions, then we, then we talk about the heart. And so somebody who is sad, then we say that they're heartbroken. But this is a, a little bit different from the way that the ancient Hebrew people thought. Solomon wrote, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life in Proverbs 4.23. Also in Proverbs, it says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, in Proverbs 23.7. And so to the Jews, the heart was a place where decisions were made. Uh, uh, and, and really, in the Hebrew language, there is no word for mind. It's only the heart. And so the hard, stony heart that God spoke to Ezekiel of is a rebellious personality that refuses to submit to a loving God. But I hope that doesn't describe anybody 
here at Yongsan Baptist Church? I don't know, though, because I can't look in anybody's heart. I can't see inside somebody's heart, but God can. God can see what's going on in our heart. As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is, the Bible says. And so uh, um, the heart is what God is concerned with. Of course, the Bible also says in Jeremiah that our heart is, is evil and desperately wicked. We can't trust our heart until God has changed it and given us a new heart. So the hard, stony heart that God spoke to Ezekiel is that rebellious personality that refuses to submit to a loving God. And the heart of flesh then is a soft and submissive heart and will towards God. And God promised that he would put a new spirit within his people. And it may at first seem that God was referring to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit here, but I think that the context is talking about something different. The new spirit here is the same thing that David prayed and asked for after his great sin. In Psalm 51 and verse 10, he prayed, Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This new or renewed spirit is a change in attitude. It's a new way of looking at things. It's a transformation in our disposition. And having a new spirit will give us a whole new attitude about many things. And I think we need that. I think we need that more now in this time than, than ever before. So uh, we need, first of all, a new attitude about sin. A new attitude about sin. Go back to your notes there in or your Bible and look in uh, Ezekiel chapter 11. And let's read verse 18. Ezekiel 11:18, and they shall come thither, and they shall take away the detestable things thereof, and all the abominations thereof from thence. So it was their attitude about sin that had gotten Israel into trouble. Israel followed the wicked lifestyle of the heathen who were around them. Go uh, look at. Let's look at verse number 12 in this text. In verse number 12, it says, "And you shall know that I am the Lord." For ye have not walked in my statutes, neither executed my judgments, but have done after the manner of the heathen that are round about you. Over and over again, a sinful cycle had it repeated itself with the children of Israel. It, it's really made, uh, 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 was sort of like uh, put on display in the book of Judges. Over, in the book of Judges, is just this constant cycle of the people sinning and God sending foreign uh, uh, people to invade the land and plague them and trouble them, and then they would repent, and, and then God would deliver them. And then for a while, everything would be good while they served God, but then eventually they'd, they'd begin sinning again. And it was this, it didn't stop just when, when David became king. It continued. They continued to do that. And so uh, wherever there, there was a toleration of sin, then they began to participate in the sin. And after that came God's judgment. It's so important that we have the right attitude about sin. 
Sin, it has been said, is that which ought not to be. And men make light of sin. Uh, they call sin a lifestyle choice, or sometimes they call it a disease, or a superstition. And these days, it's even called entertainment. But it's always an offense against God. And we'd better have the right attitude about sin. God promised that when he returned to the land of Israel, they were going to remove all the detestable things. They're going to purge out any abominations. Now, obviously, this has not happened yet. Israel has in part returned to the land, but there's still a lot of the land that they don't possess. The Palestinians have it. Jordan has it. Lebanon has it. Egypt has it. There's a lot of the land that God promised to the nation of Israel. They, they don't possess it. They only possess part of it. And even in the land they do possess, they, 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 they certainly uh, are not, um, they don't have the right attitude about sin. And, uh, of course, the greatest sin they have is that they reject Jesus Christ, their own Messiah and Savior. So the Jewish people... Even though they may not be bowing down before idols like they did in the past, they're as sinful as they ever were. And, uh, and, and they're very hardened against the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question could be asked, then what about our attitude towards sin? What is it that makes us different from Israel of old? But to begin with, I, some would say, well, we're fundamentalists. That means we believe that there are certain fundamental truths or doctrines which must be believed in order for a person to be saved. Fundamentalists insist on a belief in the infallibility of the Bible, the deity of Christ, the substitutionary atonement, his bodily resurrection, and salvation by faith in him alone, that these are things that are essential to genuine Christianity. And those who don't believe these things, then by, by uh, definition, they are not real Christians. Evangelicals believe in those same doctrines, but they don't insist that they're fundamental to the faith. In order to guard our faith and preserve a holy testimony, fundamentalists separate from sin and even from sinning brethren. And uh, the motivation for separation is a healthy attitude about sin. It's a healthy attitude about sin. Uh, so we need to check ourselves. Uh, David, you know, his sin with Bathsheba didn't, didn't happen suddenly it, there was a period of time where he stopped praying there was a period of time where he stopped you know worshiping the lord in in truth and he became bored with his life of service to god and instead of going and fighting the good fight he was lounging around on his rooftop on a warm summer's eve and spying on his neighbor's wife while she bathed. And then, then what he saw with his eyes, eventually he went and took. And uh, so we need to have the right attitude about sin because sin is something that will destroy us. 
There's also, we need to have the right attitude about worship. Look in verse number 19 of our text. <clears throat> and I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will put the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh. So idolatry was the sin for which Israel repeatedly fell into. And it's the worship of something other than God. Men have always sought to escape from their authority to God and our responsibility to him. Because man is a spiritual creature, man has a capacity for worship. In fact, I would say he has more than a capacity for worship. We have a God-shaped void inside of us. And only God can fill that void. The reason why people love and become obsessive in their love about the wrong things is they're trying to fill that God-shaped void. Everybody has this need to worship. All men, even atheists, are going to worship something. God is our creator. He's revealed himself to us through his word, the Bible, but it's also nature. Psalm 19, verse 1 says, Heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. The Bible teaches us that we ought to worship him. And worship means total allegiance. It is much more than just an occasional pain of tribute. That's what I see in the lives of many Christians. They give God a couple of hours on Sunday morning. And the rest of the week belongs to them. That is not worship. That is not allegiance. Worship is much more than just an occasional usage of time. Worship and sacrifice always accompany one another. Worship that doesn't involve sacrifice is cheap. Worship and service also go hand in hand. This was the response of Jesus when Satan tempted him concerning worship. He said, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Serve. So we, we, we have to understand that worship that involves no service is not real worship. Even if you empty your wallet out, I'm going to go to church and worship, and you fill the offering plate with money, but you don't have any time to serve God. I don't know that God has any, any uh, respect for your offering. Now, a great many believers today could, could use an attitude overhaul concerning their worship. And uh, we call what takes place on Sunday mornings in church services worship, but is it really worship? Does all our allegiance really belong to God? Is sacrifice and service a prominent characteristic of what takes place both within our hearts and in our outward actions? So maybe we need a new attitude about worship. Then I think this passage shows us also that we need a new attitude about obedience. Obedience. Look at verse number 20. That they may walk in my statutes and keep mine ordinances and do them, and they shall be my people, 
and I will be their God. So if God is worthy of worship, then he is certainly worthy of obedience. Amen? Israel suffered much because of her disobedience. Violence came to their land. They were chased from their homes. They and their children became slaves to a cruel and barbaric people, all because of their disobedience to the word of God. But God promised he was going to bring them back into the land and give them soft hearts and a new attitude. So with softened hearts, they'd render unto him worthy worship. And with a new attitude, they would embrace his commands with joy rather than with rebellion. Obedience is what we do, and worship is why we do it. <clears throat> Obedience is what... First Corinthians chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 3 tell us it's not enough just to be obedient. Brother Kim, there's a paper right there. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 3. Let me read those verses real quickly. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tingling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity. I am nothing, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So we need, it's not just enough to be obedient, is what I'm saying. We need to have a loving, worshiping heart. And even so, James chapter 1 tells us that what we do is critical. Words of love mean nothing unless they're backed up by obedient action. Israel, Israel surely does not have a monopoly on disobedience. A Baptist people can be just as disobedient as, as ancient Israel ever was. And some of us are pretty good at it too. Do we really desire God to give us a new attitude Do we need a new attitude about sin or worship or obedience to the word of God? Maybe we're only content being part-time disciples who render half-hearted obedience and, and worship. But I think that we can do better. Uh, my challenge at the beginning of this year was, was for our church members to pray and ask God to let them lead one soul to Christ each member of our church. A few souls have gotten saved, but only a few. And this year is two-thirds gone. The Bible says that, that he that won his souls is wise. The Bible says, go and preach the gospel to every creature. 
Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. You're my witnesses. I think that we can do better. I think that we can have a greater sense of purpose. I think that we can have a greater love for lost souls. I think that we can have a greater love for one another. Although, I have to admit, I think that our church is, is really tops in that. Uh, I think that our church uh, does a terrific job at showing brotherly love. And uh, I've been, I've been uh, you know, a part of churches in the United States and different churches here in Korea. I think Young Sun Baptist Church does a really good job of, of being loving amongst the brethren. But I think that there's even room for improvement in that. And I think that, that we might, we can have that greater love for one another because the Bible says that, that it, it, the love that we have for the brethren, it is evidence of the love that we have for our Savior. If we can't love our brethren who we can see, then we surely can't honestly say that we love our Savior who we can't see. And uh, so I, I, I wanted in the opportunity that I had to come this morning and and fill in for Pastor Kim in the Sunday school class, I wanted to challenge us about our heart and our attitude, our attitude about sin. Do we have the right attitude about sin? Because sin is something, the more we see sin, the more we become inured to it and hardened to it, and it doesn't bother us anymore. Something that bothered us a lot when we first saw it, after a while we become kind of like eh, sort of passive about it. And that's a really dangerous place to be because if you become passive about something, it won't be very long before you might actually find yourself involved with it. So do we have the right attitude about sin? Do we have the right attitude about worship? Worship is not just coming, sitting in a church, listening to a sermon, singing some songs, putting a little money in the offering, and going home. God told Satan, Jesus told Satan, worship God and serve him. Imagine that. So, do we have the right attitude about worship, and then do we have the right attitude about obedience? Now, of course, you, you, you can't obey God's word if you don't know what it says. So part of having the right attitude about obedience involves loving the Bible, loving God's word, spending time in it. And uh, I, I, I know Christians that say, yeah, I love the Bible. And uh, I even know some, I, I, I love the King James Bible. And they, you know, they, they know all the doctrine about the King James Bible. But they don't come to church, except when it's convenient. I don't think that's a evidence of a genuine love for God and his word. So uh, those three areas, I think, are all evident in this text. When God said to the children of Israel, I'm gonna, they're, they're, they're in sin. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scatter you among the nations. The, the city of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. The tabernacle, the temple, is going to be destroyed. But for those who really do love God, he said, don't worry. 
I'll be a little sanctuary to you. Wherever I scatter you, I'll be a little sanctuary to you, and then I'm going to bring you back into the land. And then I'm going to put a new heart within you. A new heart within you. Maybe before we can each lead that soul to Christ this year, we need to pray and ask God to put a new heart within us. A heart that hates sin. A heart that loves God and will, and will worship and serve him. And a heart that loves his word. If, if those things are going on in our heart, we'll win souls. But if they're not going on in our heart, there's not much hope that any souls are going to be won. All right, we'll, we'll uh, stop there and uh, we'll pray and have a few minutes to fellowship uh, before the service starts. Let's pray.